Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 fan, Justin and Ailish. Happy 4th of July. Someone that saw south of the border only a few days ago. Tootsies. In a celebratory fashion. <laughs> Luke Fox, Sportsnet NHL writer. How's it going, Luke? It's going pretty good. You got your cowgirl boots on still? No, I put or? them away until the next trip, which who knows when oh, I'll get you, down there. Oh, you looked apart in the bars too? Well, when in Rome. I thought that was she just was a all, content plan. He was all in. Yeah. Was all in. If you do it, yeah. you do it right. Okay. Luke Luke was made for Nashville. You Hell like yeah. live music. You post up the bar. You just like have a good time. Luke, did you enjoy yourself? I did. It was a long time. Uh, it was actually, yeah. It was a bit too long. Well, I, it was long. And then I had a, a crazy flight delay. So oh, it yeah. was, uh, I went a full week in Nashville with the awards and the draft and the extra time that was unplanned. Oh. But, but. If, if you're going to get stuck in one city for, for a week, Nashville isn't the worst place. No, I think uh, I think you nailed it. Uh, I was there for four days, and I was starting. I had no voice yeah, by the end of it. How long was that delay, Luke? Yeah, Luke's delay was like <laughs> an hour, and he's like, yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm, going hour back, hour. I'm going back downtown. It was like eight hours. It was it was brutal. I, but, I, but the worst thing people want to hear is uh, uh, traveling hockey reporters com- complain about their delays or their lost bags. I will say, though, you weren't alone. Everybody seemed to have issues getting out of Nashville. Like, I was delayed, too. But, it, yeah, it wasn't eight hours. It was just, it was a messy airport. There's a lot of people laying horizontally on the ground as well, uh, struggling yeah. with that. So, uh, since we last ch- uh, chatted, uh, there's obviously been some new signings. There's been some rumblings and mumblings. Uh, but let's start with the one that isn't uh, fully completed yet, and that's Nylander in the contract talk. So, we're hearing that he's thinking he's more of a $10 million player whereas Leafs are thinking more around the $8 million mark. Um, is that is that what you're hearing in terms of, like, the, the vibe check or the pulse check on Nylander and his camp? Yes, and those rumblings were pretty loud in Nashville. Uh, and the, the thing is, there's no deadline for Nylander, right? Um, if you're him and you want to maximize what you get, it's not like July 1 was your deadline. It's next July 1 is your deadline. So all the pressure gets shifted to Brad Treliving in this negotiation because he's the one who's been burnt in the past by something very similar in Johnny Gaudreau. And, you know, the, the other thing at play here is that Nylander and Gaudreau share the same agent, Louis Gross. So he's mm. not only has he been the, through this with a very high-profile impending free agent, but he's been through it with the exact same agent. And you just wonder how much that history will inform his decision. It's embarrassing, right? If you walk the highest profile UFA out the door for nothing, especially in a market like Calgary uh, that needs to keep their, their star players, I find it hard to attract new ones, and you get zero return. So I'm sure that history will play into his decision with Nylander, he doesn't want a, a complete repeat. So what he has to juggle is the value of Nylander this year, which is there is something to just keeping him, right? He's a $6.9 million 40-goal scorer. You've just added some very intriguing pieces around that core four um, forwards. Uh, so there is some value in keeping him. But at the same time, he could fetch you a, a really great return. So you have to know if there is going to be some common ground that probably starts with the nine or if, you know, you need to, to think seriously about, about moving on from them. Now, from what I understand, even though the gap is big, there's still 
prioritizing trying to get him signed, trying to hammer that out. Yeah, I mean, that context with Lewis Gross and Johnny Gaudreau and Brad Living, it is uh, pretty terrifying, actually, because you're right. You don't want to be fooled again. Uh, and in this situation, I guess there is the potential to be fooled again. But you nailed it with this year and $6.9 million and one-year deals for Bertuzzi and Domi and how important this year is because the following year when you actually have to pay a guy like Austin Matthews and you still have... Tavares and Marner, it's going to be really, really difficult to field a really competitive roster. It feels like this year is of utmost importance, and not having Nylander on the team this year, even if the trade value is pretty good, seems like a mistake to me. It's like you you prepared yourself for this season, you have a chance to win this year, and maybe you take that out of your own hands by trading William Nylander. So this is my theory on the matter, what I think they should do. I think they should just sign the deal. Do the best you can, sign the deal that William Nylander wants to a certain extent. You obviously have to work really, really hard and use this season and reevaluate after because it's not like his trade value is going to crater at any moment, right? Like you're going to be able to make this trade even with a signed William Nylander because he's going to have value and you're going to work hard to keep that number down for someone else if you decide you need to trade him at a later date. So what do you think about signing the deal kicking the can down the road, going after it this season, maybe taking a bit of a dip the following year, and then deciding, or, you know, before that, if you can keep Nylander around. Do you think there's any merit to just signing the deal to make sure you don't lose him for nothing, but also being open to the opportunity that, hey, maybe you trade him within a couple years of a contract? Yeah, but if he signs, he'll probably ask for trade protection, and the Leafs are pretty good good at handing that out usually. They don't have to be, though, Luke. They don't have to be. You're, you're you're right, but Nylander doesn't have to sign. That's the thing. There's no pressure on on the player right now. There's zero pressure. He has 12 months until he's a free agent. So, I think in the Leafs' case, there's definitely some merit into trying to get it done this now, and which is why that's priority number one for Trey Living right now because he wants to get these deals done. The problem, the catch here is. Uh, there's some sort of understanding that Nylander's camp wants Matthews to put pen to paper first mm. because it, uh, there's a like it or not, whether it's fair or not, uh, Nylander might not be using other players of his ilk around the league as comparables, whether you want to pick like, you know, some people have thrown out like a Timo Meyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to use player, his teammates as comparables. Why am I, why am I this far behind Marner? Why am I this far behind Matthews? So say Matthews signs for 14 or 13-5 or something. He doesn't want to come in at, at 9-5. He's like, yeah, Matthews is better than me, or he plays a more prominent position, or he's better defensively. But I'm not, Scored that, many, I'm not that many million behind him. So that's the problem is, is, you know, New Jersey's done an excellent job of establishing like a, a team salary structure. Tampa did it when, when Stamkos took a little less. Uh, Boston, for years, had a great sort of internal cap structure where t- teammates comparing themselves to other teammates, the, you know, it, it wasn't that ridiculous. Sidney Crosby, right? Like his number, if you were in Pittsburgh, you, you didn't want to blow Sid out of the water. So uh, I think Nylander's camp is waiting for Matthews to raise the bar and say, okay, I'll fall under that bar, but only so much. You named some players there that obviously were quite outspoken about, like loving playing, like Sidney Crosby and Pittsburgh Penguins. There's like that, I'll take less to play here. But how much does William Nylander, 
like care about being a leaf? Like how much does that matter to him? Is it about the money? Is there like a 20% factor of like, okay, I'll take less or is this just like a, a real financial decision? Right. I, and we're going to find out when you talk to him. Absolutely. He loves being in Toronto, mm-hmm. loves being a Maple Leaf. It's very comfortable here. Uh, and he's thrived here. So I, 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 you know, I believe him. There's a bunch of Swedes on the team that he gets along with. I think he's found a, a nice little niche. I, I take him at his word that when he says he loves to, to be in Toronto, wants to keep the core intact, wants to resign, I believe him. But at some point, we're going to find out how much they really love it. Mm. Like, do, And do you love it to the point where you want to win here? Or you just want, you know, the best practice facility and um, all the amenities? At, like, players get treated very well in this city. So, you know, do you love it or do you want do you love it and want to win and are willing to take a little bit less? And we're going to find out. You know, we're, words are one thing, but when you actually sign for a little bit less, it, it tells you, right? It told me something when Nathan McKinnon, yeah, he pushed the bar, right? He, t- he got a higher cap hit than McDavid, but he didn't blow it out of the water. He didn't take it deep, deep, deep into the season. Um, so that told me something. It told me Nathan McKinnon wanted to win again in Colorado. He wanted to give his management a chance to build a competitive team around him. And we're going to find out about these guys pretty soon. Uh, the same questions, I guess, remain for Austin Matthews, right? Like uh, yeah. we're not as concerned for whatever reason about Matthews deal. Maybe it's because William Nylander, you know, it's they want him to go first, even though he demands that Matthews should go first, or at least feels that would help him in his negotiation. Um do you think it's done with Matthews? Like, do you think it's top drawer somewhere with that in mind? Uh, and, and what do you think is going to happen here with Matthews, if you were to guess? I've wondered about that. And, and I think, you know, so Rad living has been on the job for over a month now. His top priority, as soon as he got it, was to fly out. Like, he, he prioritized it over Keith. And he flew out to Arizona, met with Matthews. By all accounts, those talks were, were great talks. There's never, ever been an inkling on Matthew's side to say, I don't want to be a Maple Leaf. And the one team people were kind of like, well, maybe, maybe he would go to L.A. L.A. wants a center. They want to commit big money to a center. Matthews loves the West Coast, close to Arizona. But then they went out and got their guy in Dubois. So that kind of reinforced the, the idea that, yes, Matthews is going to end up here. And I would have to think, you know, considering Trey Living's been on the uh, on the job for a while, he's been a, an executive in Lee for a long time. The fact that he's drilling down hard on Nylander now suggests to me that he probably knows the number that he can get Matthews at and the years. And we're thinking it's three, four, five years. And he, maybe he knows numbers for each of those. Um, so, yeah, it's not signed. I don't know if it's actually, you know, the paperwork's prepared sitting in a drawer. But I would have to imagine that he knows where Matthews is going to fall, yeah. Talking to Luke Fox, Sports NHL writer. Um, okay, so some additions that happened this weekend, uh, either Saturday or Sunday, uh, seems to be a bit of a common theme of adding some snot to the lineup. I love that. Yeah. That might be the new quote of the year, uh, adding some snot. But do you think Brad Trey Living has certainly looked at this roster and addressed something that we've talked about? The Leafs don't have enough toughness, enough grit, uh, by adding Bertuzzi, Domi, and, of course, Ryan Reeves. Yeah, and, and, and what I like is that he did it right now in the summer. Like, I think, like, Dubas was very, came around to that idea a little bit, if it was a certain type of guy. Um, 
but he kind of did did it at the end, mm. and it was a little bit too little, too late, uh, and the culture was already set, and you're trying to bring it, tack on all these guys, whether it's a, an Achari who runs through people or Ryan O'Reilly who's a, a leader and hard nosed player, not not dirty, um, but certainly not afraid. And I, I really like the fact that, you know, they've tried that way. They've tried the, the Dubas way for a while. So if you're going to keep the core, which seems like his priority, although Newlander's still, still a question mark, uh, you're at least going to have a different look around them. You're going to have some guys that are kind of jerks on the ice. Max Domi isn't the nicest guy to play with. You know, he's, he's a fine guy to talk to. Uh, he's very friendly and, and uh, you know, outgoing and warm when, you, when you're in conversation with him. But when you're on the ice with him, he can be a jerk. Tyler Bertuzzi is a nasty piece of work. He might steal your stick and throw it somewhere. You know, he might, in, he might initiate something dirty. Uh, the Leafs have always kind of been a little bit more, you know, we're going to play a nice game, and, and if the other team plays a nice game, that's great, and, and no one goes home with any bruises. They brought in three guys. That, that will initiate stuff. Ryan Reeves is probably the toughest guy in the league. And that doesn't mean he's going to fight every night. He probably won't, will, will fight hardly ever. But just his presence, uh, you know, set, sets a different kind of tone to the night. When you walk into a hockey game and Ryan Reeves is going to play, you don't know what's going to happen that night. You never got that feeling with the, the former Leafs. So I like the fact that he's surrounded the group with, with a bit more character, a bit more you know, uh, nastiness. He used the word snot. That's probably a, a word the former GM would never use uh, in his press conferences. <laughs> it, it's just, it's just setting a little bit of a, a different tone and, and, and uh, some different personalities around the group too. I like it. I like it. We, we, they've tried the other way. Let's see how this works. Yeah. Yeah. It's time to try something new. And I am looking forward to hearing or seeing you uh, work snot into your copy because it is, uh, <laughs> it is a good word to get excited about around these parts. Uh, do you think you got a little lucky though with Tyler Bertuzzi? Like it, it seems almost unfathomable that Bertuzzi didn't land a multi-year deal somewhere. And it feels like maybe a couple teams overplayed their hands or Bertuzzi overplayed his hand himself. Maybe he really wanted to be a leaf and left money on the table elsewhere. But it feels like the fact that they got him on a one-year deal, a manageable number at that too, that uh, Treliving kind of, it was a good bounce for Treliving. And uh, not that this market didn't need a couple bounces. 100%. And he even admitted that. So what happened was Bertuzzi went out looking for a multi-year deal. Like, I I think in, in, in his mind, he wanted five. He had just come off a bridge deal. All he'd done was short deals. He wanted some security. And, and part of that, I think, is because of his injury history. He's had some back problems. I mean, he's had some scares. So uh, I think he wanted something more secure. Uh, and what Trey Living did was he reached out early. He's loved this player for a long time. It's a perfect fit for them, you know, on the ice. Like, uh, left wing, that's always been a sore spot. They knew they were, weren't going to be able to keep Michael Bunting. I don't even think they tried that hard to keep Michael Bunting. I thought they... They were ready for a new look there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact that he plays left wing, the fact that he goes to the net, the fact that, you know, he's been hungry for playoffs forever, finally gets into the playoffs, gets 10 points in seven games, uh, is in the mix, is in the penalty box. He's he's kind of a built for built for playoffs guy. So Trey Living went to their, their camp early and said, look, we're not going to give you a multi-year deal that you're looking for in the open market. But, we're really interested in a one-year deal. The guy's from Ontario. 
He fits exactly what we need. We'll play him with, you know, some of our best players in the top six. You know, there's no guarantee that he's with Matthews and Marner, but he's going to be top six. You know, if he's with Tavares and Nylander, that's a pretty good spot too. So we'll give him a we'll give him prime opportunity, close to home. We're a contending team. We can load up the signing bonus crazy. So if you if you go out there and you can't find the multi-year year deal, circle back to us on day two. And that's exactly what they did. So Trey Living admits, you know, yeah, I got a little bit lucky, but he made that luck by getting ahead of it and saying, being frank and saying, we're not in the multi-year uh, deal market, but we are in the one-year deal and we'll make it, make it worth it to you. Um, so, you know, I, I talked to Bertuzzi a bit, a little bit yesterday over Zoom and, and he said, you know, he could have done it in Boston. He could have done, went elsewhere, but Toronto was, the best fit for him, and he, and he likes being close to home. So why couldn't the Leafs do multi-year deals with anyone other than Ryan Reeves, I suppose? Well, they, they could, it, it, but it's because they've prioritized Matthews and Nylander, and they, uh, they really want to find out what, what those numbers are so that they know when they do go for multi-year deals where it fits. They didn't want to overextend because if, if you're going multi-year with Bertuzzi, uh, or Klingberg, which I don't think they ever wanted to do. But if you're going multi-year, the number goes up too, right? Because mm-hmm. now you're, you're buying into those years where the cap is going to escalate. So each player's number is going to want to escalate. So that's why they prioritize one year is because they need to figure out this Matthews and Nylander thing. Talking to Luke Fox, um, we talked a lot about offense here. Let's talk about the addition on the back end, uh, John Klingberg. I, I think it's easily stated that a lot of people are uh, looking at his defensive numbers and not feeling overly confident. So can he make those ne- necessary defensive steps? Is there a move um, coming to help kind of supplement uh, a little bit of a deficiency here still glaring on the back end? Yeah, and, and Trey Living's not done with his mm-hmm. blue line. He's like, it's no, it's no secret. You know, he wants big, aggressive defensemen. He, he wants a Zadorov, right? Like he wants he wants someone that's going to intimidate, box out, uh, you know. And as much as I like TJ Brody as as Morgan Riley's partner, I really liked Luke Shen as as Morgan Riley's partner. So I think that's the type he wants—a stay-at-home, trustworthy guy uh, who's going to you know clear the net, not allow you to to whack at that rebound. So he said he's not done. And and I think at this point, you look at the free agents left, I think that's going to have to be a trade at some point. So he's still working away. Uh, I, I was thinking about this. Like, it, it probably helped that he was out of a job for a little while. So he's had a little breather. So he's coming to this free, uh, free agency and this new job kind of f- refreshed and guns a-blazing. Other GMs might be a little sluggish. They've, you know, they've been on a job for, for so long. It, maybe it helped that he had that little vacation because he seems rare to go and and trying to make some trades because he's like, that's the one area I'm not done it with it is the blue line. Now, Klingberg, you know, we talked to him yesterday and he was saying that he was trying to do too much in Anaheim. He, he, he felt pressure, you know, I think by having that one-year deal, by playing on a bad team, uh, it probably felt like every play, you know, if he w- didn't make a good one, it was costing him money. So he said, I, I was – I was trying to do too much, and, and it ended up costing him defensively. Like, this, is, this was a good player for Dallas. At one point, his, his stock was very high. Um, so I, he's going to give the, the Leafs power play a different look. He said that he intends to shoot the puck a lot more. I love Morgan Riley. He didn't shoot the puck very much. 
when he was on the power play and his shot wasn't threatening, Kling, Klingberg's will be. Like, he's got, he's got a clapper if he wants to unleash it. Uh, and Ryan Reeves was saying that the way he walks the line, the blue line, on, on a power play in zone is, is phenomenal. So his offensive skills are fantastic. But, yeah, a pure defenseman, that's what we still need. If you're talking trades, who's expendable um, on this Leafs roster or maybe in their Marley's AHL system that you could see maybe being floated around? Doesn't feel like there's a lot in the cupboards. There's not. You're right. And, and you know, they're not going to touch Matthew Nye. So what do you have? What's Nick Robertson's worth on the trade market these days? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that high. I, I think he needs to to come back healthy and, and up his value and, and either be of value to the Leafs or become a trade ship because I don't think people are reaching for him right now. You're right. Dubas left the cupboards pretty bare. Uh, you know, I, I think it come, it circles back to Nylander and, and if Korea Living's willing to play hardball, all of a sudden, if he says, look, we're doing 10 and not a penny less, Trey Living can say, okay, fine. I can turn you into a heck of a defenseman first rounder, maybe another prospect, you know, it, it is some value. So that's probably their best trade chip right now. I know some people don't want to hear that. Um, I'm a little bit curious. I, 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 I like TJ Brody was probably the Leafs best defenseman all year, but you know, Bradford living when he was in Calgary had a had a chance to keep TJ Brody and didn't. So mm-hmm. I don't know where he, he fits. Like, I don't know how much he loves the player. Because he defends really well, but he doesn't defend with a physical edge, and and that's what Trey Living wants. So I'm a little curious just what that relationship is with with Brody and Trey Living. Yeah, that's an interesting one because uh, that that within TJ Brody, you might see the difference in philosophies between the old regime and the current uh, regime yeah. with Brad Trey Living. Uh, last one for you here, Luke. Ryan O'Reilly didn't want to hear it. Didn't want even an offer sent across a uh, fax machine, email, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, that's caused a little bit of a stir in this market. Uh, do you have any truths on why Ryan O'Reilly didn't want to be a Maple Leaf anymore? No, I mean, there's, there's a lot of rumors out there. Um, uh, it, I did find it interesting that yesterday Trey Living was unprompted. He was asked about, I think he was asked about another player or just the market in general. And he brought up Ryan O'Reilly and said, you know, there's some stuff out there they didn't like like the teammates or didn't like the room. And he said that is 100% not the case. And he sort of vaguely referred, you know, to not all guys like playing at home or find it comfortable playing at home long term. Um, I, I do believe that, that Ryan O'Reilly enjoyed his time being a Leaf, but, you know, it's I think it's a lot, right? Um, whether it's pressure, whether it's people asking for tickets, whether it's, uh, you know, just, you know, the whole being a Leaf thing. Uh, and then he also made, alluded to, you know, in, in some of his post-series comments, there were some things we could have done differently. Um, so, you know, there, there's an idea out there. Maybe he didn't like Sheldon Keefe's approach to playing. Maybe he didn't like the makeup of the team in terms of how they played or, or how they attacked the playoff series. I don't know. That That's for Ryan O'Reilly to say. But it is kind of fascinating that he could have got the same money and term to stay a Leaf. I, I thought he was a great fit for the Leafs. You know, I'm still not completely sold on their center depth with John Tavares losing a little bit of a step now. And David Camp is your 3C. Max Domi is your 3C. I like I like Domi more on the wing myself. So I, I think it's a loss for the Leafs. But it, it is kind of interesting that he chose to go 
to a rebuilding team instead of uh, instead of stay here. And, and and part of that I think has to do with the fact that he already has a ring. I think when you already have a ring, see Alex Kalorn, you can mm-hmm. go somewhere. You can go somewhere else if you want to. Well, we just spent some time in Nashville, so we certainly know that it's a great city and he'll enjoy it very, very much. Uh, Luke, appreciate you joining us this morning. Uh, Glad to have you back here. Rest, recuperate a little bit, and we'll chat with you soon. Okay, sounds good. Have a great day, guys. Thanks Thanks so much. That's uh, Luke Fox, sports and NHL writer with us. And, uh, yeah, we'll. there's lots of spicy Ryan O'Reilly online takes. Yeah. We'll never know. You I mean, just it, call it, it Brian. Just, it does, <laughs> like, just the move, though, in itself does sort of belie what we thought about him, right? Like, yeah. we thought serial winner, guy who wants to, doesn't, nothing matters but Stanley Cups, right? Like, that's kind of what we thought, or at least what we built him up to be when he came over here in the first place. But if you go to Nashville to play for a team that doesn't want to win hockey games over the next four years and just wants to be like, hey, let's all get along here and make sure that you learn the right way until we actually get to the point where we're trying to win again, like that's not that's not what we built him up as. And maybe that's who he really is, and that's fine. But maybe, we, to you. maybe we just, you know, uh, poor advertising. All right. It's time for maybe the greatest segment oh, wow. of something to chew on and it's time for something to chew on brought to you by great canadian meats yum 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 it could not be more fitting today <laughs> okay special day in the united states and yeah. worldwide and specifically for the fan morning show and current guests and friends of the show joey chestnut now going for his 16th mustard belt today at coney oh, island mustard belt. 16 of them uh his eighth consecutive now we know that's a lot of hot dogs but let me give you the context of the numbers let's chew on this Literally. Since 2005, Joey has eaten 1,152 hot dogs at this competition and buns. The buns get you. The buns you forget about. It's not just the nitrates. It's the gluten. It's not just the nitrates. It's not the nitrates that get you. It's the gluten. Um, Despite not participating in every event since 2005, he's eaten 685 and a half more hot dogs than anybody else. Mm. Okay. Now, let me give you some some stats in terms of... Haven't you already given me stats? No, no, in terms of uh, dimensions. This is kind of gross. The Nathan's hot dogs are 6.75 inches long. So the total length of hot dogs that Joey Chestnut has consumed since 2005. I'm not ready for this. It equates to... Do you want inches or feet? Inches. 7,776 inches of hot dogs. Now, that is 648 feet. And let me give you some things that are blank feet long so you can compare. So 648 feet of hot dogs. The distance of Aaron Judge's longest home run is only 496 feet. The height of the Statue of Liberty only 305 feet. So he's doubled the Statue of Liberty in hot dogs. I'm starting to feel sick. Um, the final stat I will give you, and this one's, this one's humbling for those that consume the loony dogs, such as myself. In 2022, so Chestnut ate 63 hot dogs, which is one of his lowest, okay? Like he was falling off it's a tough bit. Year. That's why we're going to do over under later. Um, that's 290 calories. So in his competition career he's eaten nearly 335,000 calories in hot dogs <laughs> uh, yeah 
the calories burned by polar bears daily is 12,000. I just thought that was a fun stat. That's my research for you. Okay. Well, <clears throat> that was definitely something to chew on. Oh, that is the Might chewiest chew of the all time. Break here. I hope everybody consumes wisely today. And best of luck to Joey Chestnut. There's an over-under set. We'll get to that briefly in the Wake and Rake. You can send your picks in at 595.90. Over-under for Joey Chestnut. Blake Murphy joins us after the show. Jays Talk Plus. And, of course, we'll talk a little Raptors as well. Uh, we tried to do our Blue Jays positives. I think we did a good job of finding some. We unearthed a few positives. Let's see. Blake's a positive guy. If he can do that, he's got the numbers. Do they match the eye test of the positives? Blake's next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 fan Justin and Ailish. And back-to-back days where we get a real human guest in the studio. Honestly, we're blessed. Both surprises, too. Yeah, we didn't know Will was going to walk in yesterday. And then Blake, we should have thought, because he's on at 10 a.m., that he'd come in. But we didn't ask. And it's a pleasant surprise. And I bet you picked the song. I didn't. They didn't ask me. What is it? Do you know? It's a wrestling it's, it's theme like, song. It's like yeah. a Blake Murphy song. It's a wrestling theme song. That's, there you that's go. what Santos does, I think, every time I come on. Okay, well, he just knows. You're just, he knows uh, what he's doing. He's got a playlist. It's like Blake's coming on. Anyway, thanks for coming in. No problem. How were things, Blake? Uh, yeah, they would be better if Toronto sports teams <laughs> were a little better. It's one of the things about bouncing between all three teams is mm. usually I can at least, like, pretend like oh i'm not a jays guy this weekend the raptors are the focus because it's free agency and stuff but then fred leaves and the raptors don't have like the best of weekends it's like oh i gotta be a jays guy and then the leafs it's like oh do i have to talk myself into they went out and got every jerk in the league even though they're good players lots of snot uh yeah snot apparently is the word jays could maybe use a little bit of that snot too that's what we talked about today maybe you're listening on your walk in um okay power rank which team's in the best and worst spot Overall or just this weekend? This weekend. Uh, okay. Ooh, Jay's weekend in the, rankings? Jay's in the absolute gutter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're at the bottom. And then I'd say Raptors somewhere in the middle. Um, I know people are split on Fred. I think everyone knows how I feel mm. about Fred as a player and a person. But even if you don't feel that way, losing a guy who was an all-star a year ago and who's valuable enough that some team paid him $130 million, losing him for absolutely nothing is uh, not good asset management uh, for your team. So I guess Leafs are at the top by default. There you go. Argos. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we're big Argos guys now. Yeah, we're big Argos. Because they're this morning, undefeated. We were, <laughs> we're looking yeah. for positives. And, uh, they had a good night. Yeah, they did. Still undefeated. Um, okay, so we did do some positives, and we'll get into, like, the real, like, I don't know why the Blue Jays can't beat the Red Sox, but Justin and I tried to find a couple storylines that were good and happy and positive. Other than Bo Bichette, what do you got for us? <laughs> Again, overall, like Blue the, Jays. like the first half of the season, yes. or just just from because this weekend, because they're forty-five half, and forty, okay. and last year they were no forty-five and forty at the same point. So we're like, hey, it's an eighty-five yeah. game sample size. They're in the same spot. Yeah, I think overall, I mean, Bo's the biggest one. Of course, he's established himself as a star level player. And if the season ended right now, would show up on MVP ballots. It's something I think we all knew Bo had within him, um, but it required a little bit of, you know, improving the shortstop defense and turning a lot of the hot streaks at the plate into more consistent production. He's done that. He's been their best player and it's not particularly close. Um, If you were looking for other positives and this is, Odd because I don't think the front office had a very good offseason. I don't think the team's in a particularly great space. But those fringe additions, Belt, Kiermaier, and to a lesser extent, Merrifield, who they added at the mm-hmm. deadline last year for 
no disrespect to Samad Taylor, who's now in the majors. They added him for next to nothing. Those three guys have all worked out. Mm -hmm. It's just a little alarming when those three guys are at times your best three players when they're mid thirties, one year rentals that were supposed to pad out the roster, not be, you know, core pieces. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about Wood Merrifield because uh, I don't think we mentioned him in our top storylines or the positive storylines. Great last, dad. Last week? Yeah. Week before. This is, I was like, you're not, you weren't here last week. Great dad. Oh, but I, I don't want to give free promotion here, but I feel like you would be a big fan of the fact that Wood Merrifield has a custom burger in yeah, the yeah. city. Oh, yeah, I've had oh, it. I didn't know that. Okay. Where, you've had it. Where yeah. is, where's the burger? No I free guess. promos. I mean. It's not far from here. You guys okay, can, well, you can, you you can't can go at you can't go at nine a.m. But no, it's, uh, we'll okay. be open. We can go get a burger. Okay, you guys are we'll in the afternoon slot next week. Yes. You can go there before. It's, so it's very close to here. Blake breaking some news. I don't yeah. know if we've discussed yeah, that, whatever. but Oops. that's all right. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Whit Merrifield. Uh, I don't know where you stood on it last summer. I know it wasn't the most popular edition, but it has worked out pretty nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Obviously, some surprise that he's an all-star. But is this season, like, on the scale of surprises? Like, how how deep does it go? How how much is he overshooting expectations this year? A reasonable expectation for those coming into the season. Yeah, pretty significantly. I, I think a reasonable expectation heading into this season was, well, he'd compete with Espinal and Biggio for playing time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know yet if he... Like, prior to this season, he'd played some left field, but not regularly at all. We had no real sense of if he'd develop into a a really solid left fielder defensively as he has and take some interesting routes at times, but is able to make up for it with that, that like top level sprint speed and everything. Um, Obviously the base stealing is great. The the bat to ball is great, but you know, you, you couldn't really have expected this. He's 34. Mm -hmm. um, And you know, last year at the time they acquired him, his player type is the type because there's not a lot of power there um, that sometimes stuff just goes right. Like if you're not a dangerous hitter, the fact that you can work a good plate appearance and poke the ball in, you know, that can go pretty quickly if your bat speed declines just a little bit or, you know, you're one injury away or pitchers just, you know, Hey, this guy's a empty 280 hitter. Why am I going to be careful with him at all? Right. Those things can happen when you're in your mid thirties. Um, so I think this is, this is great. It's a, it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, I didn't love the addition at the time. I think honestly, looking back on it, the anti-vax stuff probably colored a little bit of it and not even the the vax status, the, I would get it if the team were better, <laughs> just like didn't, but Everything I've heard is like he's Science. pretty well like teammate and stuff like that. It's it's maybe just one bad moment or something. Um, so it's great. And then the pieces that they gave up, part of why I didn't love it at the time was Max Castillo is not a guy who's going to make a difference in a major league rotation. He's made spot appearances for Kansas City this year, and he's not been particularly good. But I'm just not a fan of trading starting pitching depth that is at least like capable of standing on a major league mound. Um, anyway, that has not that has not that part has not backfired other than the fact that there is no Max Castillo mm-hmm. at Triple Like he would have started five or six games for this team already mm-hmm. if you were here, but not anywhere near as valuable as Wynn Merrifield. And not to go down the COVID rabbit hole, but things have cooled a little bit. We can like, you know, talk about it with a little bit more levity now. The the uh, people going so hard in defense now of Tyler Bertuzzi, now that he's a member of the Toronto <laughs> oh, yeah. Maple Leafs, has been quite entertaining to me over the last Here, Here's the thing with hours. any of that, and it's like, you know, like nobody cared when it was like Nolan Arenado and JT Real Muto is like, oh, they're missing a two game series. I think that's who it was that missed the two game series when Philly was here last year. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, those guys are mm-hmm. or say, say whatever it was, whoever, whatever players it was. Uh, anyway, if they're all star players, nobody really cares that much. And Bertuzzi is 
very, very good, and you got him on a one-year deal, so you look past the... It's the same with Max Dome. People are just looking past stuff because right. the players are a certain caliber, which is fine when it comes to some things and less fine when it comes to other things. Uh, luckily, the Leafs haven't waded into those waters yet. Uh, anyway. We'll leave that one. We'll leave, yeah, um, we'll leave that. Okay, so those are some real positives. Uh, I think they're kind of similar to the ones that we could, you know, uh, harvest from the Blue Jays at this point. But this weekend was a, a pretty big disaster yeah. on Canada Day with fans in, in attendance and losing winnable games. And it seems like they do it in such, like, devastating fashion. And the Red Sox, uh, rivals in their own sense. What is it about this Blue Jays team and the Red Sox, I guess, 0-7 this season, but, I mean, AL East in general? <laughs> yeah, 7-20 and 20 against the AL East, so it's not just mm-hmm. the Red Sox, but this is particularly striking. And, you know, it, it, baseball is obviously a weird sport. Like, they went, what, 16-3 and three against the Red Sox last year. Red Sox were a similar quality of team mm-hmm. to what they are this year, maybe a little worse last year. Random stuff like that happens, but it is hard to... You had just picked up some momentum. You'd won a couple series in a row. The Red Sox came in with their chests out, like Alex Cora talking about, well, we play really good baseball in Toronto. Obviously, Alec Manoa's not here, but Alex Verdugo had mm. talked a lot of smack about your oh, one of your top guys. Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of a rivalry there. And yeah, you had been swept by them before. You know, baseball's not quite to the extent that, say, a hockey or a basketball where just effort goes a long way. Um, Sometimes, you know, you talk to some people in baseball and too much effort can almost go the the wrong way where you're gripping the bat too tight or trying to do too much or whatever. But there should have been a sense of urgency, not just because it was the first time they'd picked up a little bit of momentum in a while, but also because, yeah, this is a team on your tails that kind of embarrassed you last time. And it's pretty frustrating. You can get past Friday. You know, you get beat by James Paxson, who just has a good day. And Barrios is fine, but not as good as he's been. Mm-hmm. You can get past that. But Saturday, you completely mistaked your way to that loss on the lone day this weekend where you had the bats going even a little bit. And then Sunday, your closer who's been really, really solid with the lead, but this is a couple times recently in tie games. He he's given up a, a go ahead run, but even that one is like, you got almost nothing at the plate off. What ended up being a bullpen day because the starter had to come out hurt. It's, you know, you could Friday's the only loss you could really look at and be like, well, you got beat by a team that was better that day. The other two, they absolutely should have had. In terms of areas of concern, where does the end game Swanson Romano rank for you? Because Eric Swanson's like pitched a lot compared mm-hmm. to what he's done before. Uh, it, he may be hitting a little bit of a wall. Maybe it's just the midseason lull uh, for him. But he has never been on the other side of this wall, at least in terms of a regular season. Romano, I mean, I think he was asking for the type of result that he got over the weekend for a while. It looked like he was getting closer and closer and flirting with disaster. Closer and closer until, to the heart of the plate, you mean? Yeah, until <laughs> he yeah. was met with disaster. Uh, it, frankly, you know... A lot of people, a lot of people defend Jordan Romano, and rightfully so. Uh, and a lot of people will cling to different things to uh, justify that argument. I don't. I'm still a little nervous every single time he's out there. Um, but I guess more so lumping them both in here together. Swanson Romano, the Blue Jays, uh, putting the finishing touches on a game, and how tenuous it seems to be with those two at the moment and maybe where we're going. Yeah. And I think you could throw Mesa in there too, just because he's been the best reliever in baseball in terms of getting inherited runners out, like getting coming in and getting into jams. But yeah, on paper, you need more guys. And we all entered the season knowing this. We entered last season knowing this. It was the talk of last deadline. Uh, You could always use an extra back end of the bullpen arm. And I think, you know, with Swanson, some of it is about absolutely limiting his workload. I've actually thought that that, 
as amazing as Trevor Richards has been filling in as the opener and bulk guy at times, losing him from your seventh inning slash eighth inning role, he had, he had pitched his way into leverage as a reliever. Losing him from that role has mm-hmm. had a toll on Swanson, Mesa Romano. Swanson, Mesa Romano, and Jimmy Garcia are all, I think, top 30 in appearances this year. Four, like this is like Nick Nurse is running this bullpen. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> when you look at the, the minutes per game leaderboard. So I think it's a concern. You know, Romano actual performance wise, there are just, there's only a small handful of like elite closers in today's game. The way people operate bullpens and how boomer bust guys are. You look at like the last three year sample, he's top five in saves and top five in save conversion and like a lot, uh, some of the other underlying metrics. So I don't have a ton of concern for him specifically. I just, think it's a bullpen that has needs at the mm-hmm. back end yeah. like like we thought they would and like you know you can get there with some of the other guys um even when healthy you know a simber or a pop or whatever it's a simber not this year but in general even entering the year the bullpen depth chart looked like oh that's a lot of guys that you'd love to have coming in in the sixth inning after your starter only went five and then there's a big old gap until the ninth inning yeah. so um my opinion on that hasn't really changed much with these ebbs and flows they need another arm or two back there Chatting with uh, Blake Murphy, host of Jay's Talk Plus at 10 a.m., of course, um, here on Sports and 590 The Fan. Okay, so let's talk about pitching and maybe Alec Manoa, how real this is. Uh, wait, double-A start, looked better. I mean, his improvement with his fastball. Is it scary that they jumped him from, what, F Florida Complex League to double-A? Like, are they going to be patient, or is it just so exciting to get Alec Manoa in there? Well, I don't think they jumped it because they're excited because that FCL start could not have gone worse. No, it's so. terrible. Um, so it depends brutal. on who you ask. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm it's not I'm not buying team. much of that, especially, mm-hmm. like, I was down at the park last week every day and, like, asking around about it, and, like, even John Schneider said, like, to a live mic that, like, yeah, this was working, this was working, this was working, but the slider wasn't. And I was like, wait a second, wait a second, are we saying all these positive things about it? Yeah, But it the like one it. pitch that has been the biggest problem at the major league level this year wasn't working? Um Look, yesterday, I don't know, it's a double-A game. He Mm -hmm. had 10 strikeouts. It's certainly better than... He looked confident. Yeah, it's certainly better than the FCL star. I think mentally, the fact that you saw him kind of ramp up as the game went on and, you know, the one in, he strikes out the side. I'm sure he's not going to be talking smack at this point, but he did have a little bit of that, like, Mm -hmm. three punchies (laughs) energy from the all-star game. Um, So I think that that part's, um, you know, encouraging. I, I... I think you need to see a little bit more of yeah. it because I think I think where I'm at is like even if he had another start of that quality, I think you have to be careful. And obviously they're measuring the stuff in the side sessions and things like that, because if he comes back to the major league level and what happened before happens again, I think at that point you are pocketing him for the season. Yeah, so you have sure. to you have to choose your spot here really carefully um and you know the all-star break comes at a nice time he could probably get one more start in this week and i don't know that this is the plan but one more start in this week a week down of just like hey go back to dunedin in the pitching lab and let's do another one of those you know simulated games where we're evaluating everything mechanically and you're wearing the the biometric stuff Mm. um and then see from there but i don't I don't think this weekend should push anyone to thinking he's back imminently. No, I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, I mean, it, they have survived it, right? But you made a good point on Trevor Richards. They've survived it, but what, at what expense, right? And, and what's happening with the back end of the bullpen or just the bullpen in general needing to have a bullpen day where you're using a lot of the good Trevor Richards. Uh, One more to, to just get, get through. through. <laughs> One more to get through but by it, the All-Star But, but again, if he's not... It's still the Manoa question because you need someone eventually. You can't do this forever, yeah. but are you just going to shoehorn Manoa <laughs> in there 
when we've only seen one decent mm-hmm. start. We have one terrible look and one, okay, that was pretty good at double A. Yeah. It seems like we got a long way to go and still. Look, Manoa's upside is such that, yeah, if he starts pitching well, you like Manoa being a fifth starter caliber guy is not that out of the realm of possibility. Even like if prior to his last two or three starts before he went down, he was that. He hadn't been very good, but he was still like, as far as a fifth starter go, whatever. And that's all you're asking for him right mm-hmm. now is innings. The Ryu thing, like, I'm excited and it's good, it's fun, but like he's throwing 88 miles an hour. I, I don't know that. <laughs> I, I don't know that that's uh, that's something that you can put in pen either. And like um, Ross Atkins spoke to us last week mm-hmm. and said that, you know, a starter is on their list of things they need to target, but they have to keep in mind Manoa and Ryu and things like that. Um, I don't know the price tag that starters are going to cost at this deadline in what is shaping up to be a seller's market. Um, I'd be surprised if they add a notable one. So yeah, they're probably leaning on Manoa here at some point. John Schneider won't hit 88 on the gun when he pitches to (laughs) Vladimir Guerrero jr. At the all-star game or the home run derby. Uh, But that will happen. Um, what, do you have any takes on uh, Vladdy's participation, uh, whether or not it could hurt or help his swing, uh, whether or not he hurt just what? wants to get <laughs> hurt? What exactly? Like I mean, he's I mean, not. There maybe was, it'll fix there, it. There, again, again, if you're doing like a little bit of a launch angle thing, maybe like there's everyone's just like self-serving bias, their take yes, and, and what this could mean to the future of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But is there as any hesitancy? Is there any excitement other than oh, seeing Vladdy hit home runs out of a all-star bar ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It, like, the home run derby's always pretty fun, and they keep it's tweaking the... a great the... Uh, field this year, too. Yeah, yeah. Seattle should be should be awesome. And I've, I've talked to a few people who are going down there and have a lot of fun stuff planned around the weekend. So, like, if you're down there and you're a West Coast person going down, like, keep an eye on people's Twitters and stuff like that because half the media companies mm-hmm. are, are going down there. And, like, even, like, John Boy, I know they're sending, like, a, a huge crew of people and doing a lot of live events and stuff like that. So there, I'm sure there'll be a ton of cool stuff like that. Um, but Home Run Derby is always fun. It's, like, it's not uh, not quite, like, Royal Rumble level of, like, have a little pool and do some betting on it. But it's a little fun. It's, <laughs> it's also – So this is um, – Summer League starts on Friday, and I don't go – I didn't go last year or this year because I'm on Jays instead of basketball. Mm-hmm. But – Usually summer league takes place at a time in Vegas where there aren't, there's no basketball, there's no hockey, there's no football. So the only thing you, if you want to experience a sports book with some friends, the only thing you have available to you is the home run derby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have an affinity for, I have a soft spot for it for that with Vlad specifically. I don't think it can cause any harm. He's not, you know, it's not like his swing is pristine right now. I'm not a big believer in the home run derby breaking guys. Anyway, it's just, a lot of times it's just, yeah, you're in the home run derby because you had a really good first half and you were bound to cool off. Uh, I don't I don't think there's much to it. I, I hope that John Schneider's right in that being there and having some fun and being reminded of, you know, who your peers are and, and how good you can be. Maybe there's a psychological component to that, but I'm not putting too much weight into it. Uh, last one for you, Blake. Uh, Raptors, I know you talked a little bit about Fred. We know your affinity for Fred, and like obviously the story is really special. But uh, Pascal Siakam, hot name in the trade market. Do you think the Raptors are going to explore that seriously? And is this like maybe a pivot point for them if they take it? I think they have to at least explore it and see what's out there. And I know Atlanta, among other teams, has registered their interest. Um, Atlanta... You know, it gets a little complicated with some of the cap wrinkles and stuff. Like, for example, Kobe Bufkin just signed his rookie deal yesterday, so he can't be traded for yeah. 30 days. But they you liked can all, him, right? Raptors, yeah, they did. Yeah. I mean, they they chose uh, Grady Dick over him, so they obviously didn't like him that much. Um, but, you know, he's he's a guy. 
anyway, um, so there's that, there's Atlanta. There are some other components that, you know, I, I, I think a lot of people expect the eventual Dame deal and the eventual Harden deal to expand into bigger frameworks. Um, Atlanta's mm-hmm. also still sitting on that John Collins trade hasn't been made official yet and can't until July 6th. So potentially they make that a bigger thing um, with Utah to, to make a play for Siakam. But um, around the league, you know, it's a question of, well, what is Masai asking for? And what are teams willing to put up? Because if you've looked around at what superstars have gotten in trade, it seems like everyone has course corrected from Rudy Gobert getting you five first round picks. I don't think a team Mm. is making that mistake again. Um, The prices, the prices that have been out there and the prices that we're hearing rumored, um, you know, are not at least what we've come to expect over the years of a, of a top guy And, and Pascal very well liked, obviously a very, very good player who could help a team now. Some teams are going to look at the fact that he's 29 and he's about to get a monster extension. And those monster extensions in your mid thirties don't always age the best. So there's a little bit of, you know, the other team could play the leverage side with that. So I I don't think it's uh, absolute certainty. It's going to happen. I think after losing Fred Van Vliet and, you know, just this team. Yeah. Yeah. Delano Banton, Boston, just compiling Raptors 905 guys as their third unit is going to drive me insane because they have Brissette <laughs> and Champagne now too. Oh yeah. Um, it feels ridiculous. so intentional. Yeah. yeah, it really does. Um, anyway, so the Siakam trade is something they should absolutely explore. He obviously is awesome and has meant a lot to this franchise and to this city, but you are right now, you were planning, even, even if Fred came back, the quote unquote run it back scenario was hoping on a lot of intangible stuff to push you back to being a 45, 50 win team. Hey, a new coach, new vibes. Scotty Barnes is way better. Mm-hmm. Grady Dick can contribute right away. All of those things are possible, but when you take away a guy who was an all-star two years ago and who, if nothing else, was your best off-ball shooter, it's it gets even harder to see that path uh, right. running it back. So um, they're in a spot where they have to explore everything. And if you fast-forward a year ahead, you can give Siakam the extension, sure, and you could justify that, but you can't lose – you can't keep losing – no. stuff for nothing and it's not for nothing you want a championship with these guys they all left even if you didn't get assets back you got the championship but it's uh it's a tough way to go watching guys walk we should do odds on who's more likely to not be in the city Nylander or siakam but we'll save that one mm. for another wake and rake uh we are up against clock blake we appreciate you joining us and we'll be listening live 10 a.m for jay's talk plus with blake murphy on sports the 590 fan and thanks for coming in. We got a human in person. Uh, we got to take a break. We got Chuck Fletcher joining us after the break. And then we're going to wrap it up with Adam Hadwin, our Canadian PGA Tour golfer who got tackled into oblivion and then still uh, ended up in a three-way tie at the Rocket Mortgage Classic last weekend. So we'll chat with them in the final hour of the Fan Morning Show.